The time for community banks and credit unions to win is now. While the big players and exciting new challenges grab headlines, regional institutions are at the heart of the banking ecosystem, putting the service back into financial services. Serving their local communities, these organisations around the world have a unique advantage over their competitors. They have deep, established roots with their customers. They offer a local personal service and they're not tangled up in the legacy tech mess that the big banks are. To read, watch and listen to what else we've got to say about them and how they can win, visit 11fs.com forward slash community banks. That's 11fs.com slash community banks. From 11FS, this is Fintech Insider News, and I am your host, David Breer, CEO here at 11FS. Thank you for downloading this podcast. If you like what you hear, please recommend it to a friend. This week, we are talking Capital One pursue a $35 billion acquisition of Discover. This is a super interesting space. We really feel like this might actually start to put a bit of pressure on MasterCard and Visa to really uh, make sure that the whole industry is is moving forwards. We also saw that OpenPaid and TrueLayer partners to revolutionize instant payments. The open banking space is just going from strength to strength. It really is amazing to see actually organizations coming together and organizations like this really partnering to move the industry forward. And lastly, Santander reports nationwide TV advert to their mum. No, not to their mum, to the UK's advertising watchdog. This is an interesting one. Is Nationwide having some harmless fun or, uh, you know, is Santander getting a little bit sore on this one? Uh, See what people thought, but I just think it's a little bit of harmless fun. We'll get into all of this and much, much more on today's show. Hello and welcome to episode 829 of Fintech Insider. I'm David Breer, CEO here at 11FS. And this week I am joined on Fintech Insider News by two guests who are here to break down the biggest news stories in fintech and financial services. Firstly, I'm delighted to be joined by Neve Curran, who is the senior reporter over at Finextra. Uh, great to have you on the show, Neve. Uh, I think we sort of name check you guys pretty much every week at this stage in terms of all the, the cool stuff that you guys are writing about. So uh, um, what's the favorite thing you've written about this year, I guess? Ooh, um, I don't know if I have a favorite thing I've written about this year. I did just today publish my fin crime outlook, um, which it's hard to say that's a favorite, I think. I cover a lot of uh, financial crime and um, it's always a bit of a downer sometimes, but it's obviously a very important topic. Maybe my favorite story of the year so far has been um, Apple being forced to give up their NFC rights exclusively in Europe. Um, I think it's pretty interesting uh, for Apple users. I'm not one, but I'm sure they're excited to get a little bit of diversity in their payments. Um, And it looks like we might see them make that move in the US as well. Yeah. Well, once they start getting forced to do something, then uh, then they start pretending they're doing it freely, don't they, at that point? But uh, yeah, let's see where that one goes. But uh, great to have you guys on the show. Uh, we are also welcoming back to Fintech Insider, Barry O'Sullivan, who is Head of Banking and Payments Infrastructure at OpenPaid. Uh, how's it going, Barry? Good to have you back on. Yeah, thanks very much, David. Yeah, all good. Thank you. All good. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, what do you guys do? Uh, yeah, OpenPaid is a uh, banking as a service provider. So we're a global provider of um, embedded finance solutions. Um, we help corporate customers uh, that need to 
adding financial products into their 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 platform, whether they are um it could be a, a trading platform, for example, that needs to uh to add on UK GBP accounts and make faster payments uh, and have their customers pay in. Um, or it could be that we have somebody that needs to pay internationally. So we offer um, a whole host of different um, solutions that, that anyone can embed into their technology. Very, very cool and very timely for what's going on in the news this week. So we will uh, we will come back to you very shortly. Uh, on that note, let's jump into the news because there's been a there's been a lot of different things. Before I do do that, firstly, a, a quick reminder that just in a couple of weeks, we've got uh, After Dark back in London again. So if you want to join us at the Village Underground on Thursday, 21st of March to watch me and some super duper special guests record an episode of Fintech Insider News live, why would you not want that? You can find all of the details of that and secure your support right now over at 11fs.com forward slash after dark. That's 11fs.com forward slash after dark. Alternatively, if you can't get to London, because I don't know, we have a lot of listeners in all sorts of places, don't we, around the world. Uh, then if you are listening to this in the future, you can also sign up to our mailing list and be one of the first to hear about other events that we'll be doing both in London and all around the world, which is good fun as well. Visit 11fs.com forward slash community for a bit more information on that as well. All right. On with the first story then. So this is one that was uh, not picked up in Finextra. I'm sure you wrote about it, Neve. I'm sure it was fantastic. But we picked this one up on City AM. So uh, this is Capital One announces tie-up with Discover in 35.3 billion deal, creating payments giant. Uh, according to reports in the US bank and credit card issuer Capital One, announces plans to buy rival firm Discover Financial Services in a deal valued $35.3 billion. This would create the sixth largest bank in the US. Uh, under the terms, I mean, it's interesting because the gap between the fifth and the sixth one's pretty gigantic, isn't it, in terms of uh, the US terms there. But under the terms of the proposals, Discover shareholders will receive a premium of 26.6% on their shares, while Capital One shareholders will own roughly 60% of the combined entity. The deal is expected to generate a 16% return on investment capital by 2027, despite 70 million acceptance points across the US in more than two, uh, across more than 200 countries. Discover is the, still the smallest of the four US payment networks. Uh, however, Capital One believes this deal may mean they could compete with the likes of Visa and MasterCard. Uh, I mean, this is a really interesting one, isn't it? I mean, it feels like Discover's like the OG of this uh, this sort of thing, but they've not really grown in the same way, Neve. And where do you see this going? Is this a is this a big deal and more than just the gigantic amount of money that we're talking about in this one? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, yeah, it is a big deal. It's a lot of money. Um, but yeah, no, I think it is a big deal. Um you know, provided it does actually manage to stand up, um, which we'll come on to, I guess. But, you know, I think this sort of potentially offers a challenge to Visa and MasterCard or could offer a challenge to Visa and MasterCard who have such a stranglehold on the market at the moment, um, depending on how you look at it. I mean, obviously you have people like Elizabeth Warren um, coming out and saying, does the opposite, actually. She thinks it ruins competition. Um, but either way, I think it's it's an interesting story in payments that this they're trying to build themselves up more. I think Discover is from the 80s, um, one of the sort of original uh, networks. So it's an interesting development, at least. Yeah. I mean, the Discover card was, like I say, it was like the OG, right? It was the... Uh... 
you know, the uh, the card at the pool that actually, you know, you can't get your money wet. Well, why not use this Discover card? Like, and actually, it's just got carried away from there, isn't it? But what was um, Elizabeth Swatheran's sort of point there then, that having less people in the market is essentially less competitors, therefore? But, you know, to your point, the the sort of dominance of Visa and MasterCard, given their scales, sort of means it's a it's sort of a, you know, two-horse race really anyway, isn't it? Yeah, I think I, I, t- I take her point. I, I it does sort of lower the number of players um, and maybe form one bigger player. But I think if you're going to make that point, then maybe you should be um, tackling the hold that Visa and MasterCard do have on the market. Because if, you know, you're really worried about monopolies, well, Visa owns maybe, what, like 40 to 50%. Um, that's a huge cut. Um, why you would stop this and not tackle that, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I think Americans have a quite different view on these types of things, don't they? They sort of have the let the the American market is very much like the market decides, which I always sort of think it sort of has a tendency to where the biggest sort of work well and that doesn't really leave room for, you know, small startups. I, I think that's definitely been sort of seen in the fintech scene out there as well in terms of, you know, really where do people get to. It's why uh, people like Apple, people like Google are probably the biggest threat to the big US banks out there. But Barry, what do you think about this one? Is it a, is it a significant step, do you think, in terms of the, the shakeup in the market? Um, look, I think the bigger picture is that we've seen a lot of innovation in the last few years in digital payments, um, like open banking, for example. Um, so I don't think it's any surprise that card payments ecosystems are seeing more consolidation. Um, I think Neve's absolutely right. You know, there are other players in the market that have a bigger monopoly or bigger share. Um, so competition's a healthy thing, whether it's a, a join up of partners or or others. Um, I always think there's room in the market for startups. Um, regardless, uh, obviously, if it wasn't the case, I don't think we'd have we wouldn't have any startups. It would just be the big players that exist, and, and that's it. So I, I I think there'll always be innovation. There'll always be um, new people in the market or, or consolidation. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. And it's interesting almost having a, another leg to that, uh, to that competition essentially will put the pressure on Visa and MasterCard to, you know, keep innovating as a, a as an opportunity. We actually ran a, a quick poll to to get the opinions of the, the listeners on this one to see whether they thought the regulators would actually approve this deal. 61% of people said yes, 39% of people said no. I mean, it'd be fascinating to see whether it goes through. I mean, Neve, you sort of mentioned there's been a bit of a kind of a crackdown in the US in terms of these types of uh, mergers and structures. I know... Uh, uh, was it Plaid that was, wasn't able to do the thing they were doing with Visa? Am I saying that right? Or is that wrong? That is right, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and so, and I think that was down to really the, the structure that would kind of come off the back of it. So, um, do you think it will go through or do you think the sort of administration from a, uh, a governmental perspective will, um, stick their oar in at some point as well? I have a feeling that um, given Biden's uh, whip cracking on antitrust uh, laws, and I don't know how many he's done, and there's less in the payments. I think I saw something about a concrete firm, two concrete firms trying to merge. Um, I have a feeling that they might stop it. Um, It's such a big cut that they, that's such a big company they could make um, that I can see them potentially stopping it. But I mean, 
I'm not sticking to that. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, that's the, the best edging of bets I've ever heard. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you could you could see it from both sides, can you? But I, I personally, uh, I mean, I hope this one does go through because like I say, I think uh, a bit of pressure on, at least in that market, you know, Visa and MasterCard to, to continually innovate and create a competition for the businesses that they support. That's got to be a good thing for the market more broadly, hasn't it? Uh, and actually, it's easy to ignore, uh, you know, little old organizations. But actually, when they start ganging up on you, then uh, you've really got to sort of listen to it. But um, all right. Well, um, I think we could probably talk about that one for several more hours. But I, I think uh, almost let's wait and see. And uh, if it happens, let's see what the uh, the impact of it is. Eh? All right. Uh, next up, we picked up a story on uh, FinTech Global. This is OpenPaid and Trulay forged strategic partnership to revolutionize instant payments. The new partnership means OpenPaid can leverage Trulay's extensive payments network to enable secure instant account-to-account payments. This is, according to reports, uh, will streamline the fund deposit process in real time, significantly improving conversion rates and enhancing the overall customer experience. OpenPaid offer bespoke payment solutions tailored to the needs of businesses worldwide through their banking as a service platform. If only we had somebody to talk about this one. Uh, Barry, tell us a little bit more about this. I mean, it's uh, uh, an interesting step and, and you sort of sometimes see these announcements in, uh, uh, you know, partnerships and you sort of think about, well, how, uh, what layer does this part? Is it just sort of, you're going to hold hands and be nice with each other in public or like, is there a more, you know, more deep there? So um, tell us a little bit more about what this means for for your product and, and actually what the services to the customers will be. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, open banking is still in its infancy, but it's growing rapidly. Um, I think if we look at the number of payment initiations that took place in January last year against this year, it's almost doubled. It was around 8 million and now it's about 14 or something million this month. Um, and we are, we are seeing an increasing number of our customers that are requesting to have an open banking solution for payment initiation. Um, open paid's goal really is to be rail agnostic and provide as many different solutions as possible to customers. Um, so whether it's traditional faster payments or SEPA or, or cross border, um, it's giving, uh, customers the choice to choose how they process. Um, open banking's in addition to that, um, and it exists, sits on the existing rails we have already for faster payments. But that that seamless process then will be that if we have, say, a trading platform, for example, um, the end user can can request or be pushed to the payment initiation service, and a seamless process then of, of sending funds via faster payments um, to then go on and do something that they need to through the through the trading um, platform, as an example. Um, it, it just helps to keep the whole uh, end-to-end process quite sticky. So picking um, a partner for us it is a very good strategic move. Um, we could either spend a lot of time and money building, um, getting regulated for that aspect and building the whole tech ourselves, but it's 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 best to partner with an expert and TrueLayer is the, you know, the, the best brand in the UK for that. Um, so for us, it's very much a strategic relationship. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, um, you know, uh, the the mantra of every IT department everywhere is like, uh, yeah, we could build that, you know, like, but actually, it shows a lot of like, uh, you know, emotional intelligence to be like, no, like, we're brilliant at this thing, they're brilliant at this thing, like, together, we can do something sort of Im- impactful. So, uh, I mean, that that must have kind of required a little bit of trust from both of you, right? Because you're sort of opening up the kimono a little bit there to, to sort of work together at more than just a, a surface level. Yeah, exactly that. Um, I think, look, for these types of partnerships, as you said there, you either try and do it yourself or you work with an expert. Um, we have a very, uh, very clear focus on our core proposition, which is the our banking. 
um, to provide domestic payments globally for organizations. Um, when we look at things like the payment initiation, or it might be issuing or something, um, that's not an area of focus for us. So it's much better for us to, to partner with someone that that is their area of focus. And then you have a very well-rounded offering, um, that, that may not be yours completely, but it, it works. Yeah. In, in terms of, uh, I guess, the, the numbers that you mentioned, I mean, open banking, it does seem like actually the, the numbers are ticking up, doesn't it? You know, and it's and not in a sense that people are demanding open banking necessarily, but actually the, the convenience that those experiences are, are creating are, are really what people are craving, aren't they? The, people only know what a good experience like when the, the bar is reset. So uh, do you think that's what sort of the early adopters are essentially setting a a new bar for, for customer experience and therefore everybody's having to sort of fall in line with that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, do you know, I think this whole open banking piece will be led by um, the, the merchant and not the end user because it is something that needs to be learned. Um, for example, I mean, I had to pay um, a while back uh, through an open banking. It came through, opened up my banking app and I, I just decided not to do it um, because it went into my banking app. Um, but then obviously learning about more about it being in the industry, uh, whenever I see the ability to pay by open banking, I do it straight away. Um, it takes me to my bank app. It gives me the beneficiary details. It lets me then process the payment and I can just get on with my day. Um, so there is that education piece. I think that it's it's a secure way of getting to a um, a transaction. It, and, and uh, Well, it's interesting that, isn't it? Particularly we, we've seen in testing, particularly places where, uh, you know, face recognition on phone devices, you know, the pop-up to open up your app, then you're authenticated without even really having to do anything or think anything, you know, you're just literally staring at your phone, you know? So, yeah. but actually, as you say that, it almost goes, it's, uh, it's getting those friction points right, isn't it? Exactly that. Yeah. It's, it's making it so that it's invisible to the person doing it. Uh, because that payment event is not the event they want. It's the bit, so there's something else around it. They're either buying a product or they're looking at a service. Yeah, it's interesting. Neve, what do you think? I mean, uh, every so often we get, uh, open banking doesn't work and nobody cares, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, everybody gets all uppity about it every six months or so, don't they? But, but the, you know, the data doesn't lie, right? You know, the trend is people are using this more and more and more. And, and actually the, the people who are out there building cool things to, to make it more useful as well are, are kind of uh, definitely increasing in the market. So, uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, it's very exciting. Um, I think open banking was one of the first topics uh, sort of writing in Finextra two and a half years ago. It was probably the first topic I came across that I went, what's that? And now I know way too much about it. Um, <laughs> um, more than I think most people realize is going on behind the scenes. But it's grown and grown more in reality. Um, just before I joined you today, I was talking to someone about uh, pension dashboards and they rely in the background a lot on open banking being developed more and more and they're quite an essential thing in you know moving forward um, in people's finances so this this move towards more open data i think is uh can be a bit scary but also it's um it's something that ultimately is going to be quite useful for people uh, and hopefully they won't actually see it happening that much i mean that's ideal <laughs> It is fascinating, isn't it? I mean, as, as much as we sort of said the the sort of payments capability sets the standard for other payments companies, then what's happening in payments sets the standard for lots of other slices of the industry, doesn't it? You know, if you go and talk to, you know, Charlotte Croswell or, uh, you know, the guys at uh, CFIT, I mean, 
they, the product roadmap is long, you know, in terms of all of the things that actually could be opened up through this. So, and as you say, things like the pension dashboard, or, you know, if you look around the world, how uh, people have taken different sort of leadership positions with opening up data more broadly. Uh, I mean, it's all for creating a better customer experience of one form or another, or, you know, a little bit less friction or uh, greater competition or easier comparison. Like it's, uh, it's kind of putting the customer in charge, which, uh, ultimately is uh, is definitely a good thing, isn't it, in that market? It, it makes you wonder where where this sort of gets us to, to a certain degree, you know, crystal ball of where open banking can get us. Um, you know, probably the banking bit gets dropped, doesn't it, in terms of you're talking about pensions and insurance and, you know, on and on and on. But uh, I, I wonder at what point we get to the same, almost I feel like I, I own my mobile phone number now and, you know, I'm just parking it at, the, at EE or, or wherever. I kind of feel like your data might be centrally something that's yours and, you know, you're giving people access it to do risk-based pricing or structuring or anything and you have the ability to revoke it at any point, you know. I know if uh, Dave Birch was here, he'd be banging on about identity at this stage for at least 20 minutes. But uh, I feel like all of those things kind of come into that well, this is the direction of travel, isn't it? But it takes a lot of um, regulation and a lot of, uh, you know, sort of coercing of different sort of bodies to make that happen. But that feels like a good world to live in to me. What, what do you think, Neef? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's going in an, a really exciting direction. I think, you know, sort of some idealists would would say something like the pensions dashboard, they would see that as being all your finances on one dashboard centralized, like you say, maybe on your phone or something like that. And you know, maybe that's the kind of end goal um, we'll see. Hard to say at one po- what point we'll get there, um, if we'll get there, if that's exactly what people are looking for. But I just think it's it's ultimately comes down to giving people the best deal um, and the best possibilities for their own finances. And the way to do that is obviously them having their data and having ownership and control over their data in this way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Barry, what do you think? I mean, you, again, your uh, your roadmap looks to be long with regards to all of the the possibilities of even what is happening with open banking now. But the uh, you know the the stuff out in the future, um, you know, must get your product team pretty excited. Yeah, look, there's there's the here and now, right? And then there's the future part. So the 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 networks we're building today. Um, if you look back five years ago or so, some of the stuff we're looking at now didn't exist. So for us. The exciting bit is we can build out the banking network. We can go direct to schemes. We can look at cards. We can look at open banking. We can look at blockchain. Um, in five years' time, there's probably going to be new technology, or I, I guarantee there'll be new technology that that just cha- it changes the landscape again. Um, and there'll be something new and exciting we can add in. So it's it's just making sure that we're on top of that and we're a, a front runner um, at all times rather than letting other people develop it and then we follow behind. Are you, uh, you going to do a transfer wise on us five years from now and drop the paid bit and just be open? Because it's like everything. It's just not payments. It's foreshadowing that. If that happens four years from now, like you heard it here first, all right? Yeah, cool. I have to say as a journalist, being called open is not great. great yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That is true. Yeah, I didn't think that one through, did I? Yeah. You'd think the guy who named a company with two ones at the beginning of it would have a better view of, of search engine <laughs> optimization when you're at that point. But uh, all right, on that note, while I go and read the SEO book, we're going to take a little bit of a quick break. Back with you shortly. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. 
Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The time for community banks and credit unions to win is now. While the big players and exciting new challenges grab headlines, Regional institutions are at the heart of the banking ecosystem, putting the service back into financial services. Serving their local communities, these organisations around the world have a unique advantage over their competitors. They have deep, established roots with their customers. They offer local personal service and they're not tangled up in the legacy tech mess that the big banks are. To read, watch and listen to what else we've got to say about them and how they can win, visit 11fs.com forward slash community banks. That's learnerfest.com slash community banks. Welcome back, folks. Uh, before we get back into the second half of the show, uh, a note to go and check out the most recent Fintech Insights show, which I'll be honest, I'm a bit disappointed I wasn't on this one because it sounds like a laugh. Uh, in this episode, a cohort of my fellow Fintech Insider hosts, Kate Moody, Rachel Pandian, and David Barton Grimley, attempted to ask the most Googled questions about Fintech, which I imagine there was some silly ones as well. Uh, apparently, there are other search engines available as well if you want to use one of them. Uh, from simply what is Fintech to how do I nail a fintech interview? We help you navigate the most frequently asked questions that you might not want to ask out loud. Uh, we have you covered and we'll try to get all the answers that you need. So go check out that podcast in the feed. It's just the one below this one. All right, let's get back on with the show. All right, so this was an interesting one where I was sort of like, yeah, duh, but like uh, Rothschild expands to Saudi Arabia with Riyadh offices. Uh, Rothschild's, the international private and merchant bank, is strengthening its presence in the Middle East with the opening of its Riyadh office. The move, in their own words, enhances their businesses by offering their growing client base greater local proximity for strategic advice. Um Head of uh, Middle East at Rothschild & Co. calls it a significant milestone in our ongoing efforts to expand our regional footprint in key and critical markets. Saudi Arabia represents a fundamental pillar of our Middle East strategy. The reason I was sort of like, yeah, duh, it's like Rothschild does like, hey, like lots of money stuff. And where is there lots of money? You know, like Saudi Arabia right now, right? Um, I have to say, and I was out in Saudi Arabia and it starts sounding like a uh, an advert for Saudi Arabia, but... Saudi Arabia feels like uh, fintech in 2014 in London. Like, that's what it feels like. It feels like the, the regulator, uh, opportunistic fintechs, big banks being a little bit nervous about the world that's sort of coming. It really feels like there's such a, a massive amount of change going to happen in the region to, to bring about a, a different uh, way of doing financial services out there. It also feels, if I'm honest with you, like there is just, ins we always sort of talk about the, 
the sort of overcharged, the underserved, the overwhelmed, there is like massive customer problems to kind of solve out there. There are huge demographics that have been largely completely ignored. Um, so it feels like a, an amazing opportunity. So, I, I mean, Neve, does this just sort of go like, yeah, there's lots of people with money, so they went to where people with money are? Or do you think there's a little bit more sort of strategic nature of this one? I mean, to be honest, when I saw this, a very similar response to you was sort of like, oh, I would have felt they already had something out there. But I mean, I, I, I don't know too much about Rothschild and, and their sort of targets, but I would say it seems much more likely that there's a lot of money out there. Why, why wouldn't they be there already? Yeah, I can't imagine Rothschild's going to suddenly have some uh, like mass market retail offering. Do you know what I mean? Like it's uh, it's definitely aimed at certain types of people. One of which I am not, but uh, you know, uh, Barry, like um, it feels quite interesting in the payment space out there. Like one thing that was sort of definitely getting a lot of attention when I was there was basically all the underlying payments infrastructure. Uh, that's super interesting, I imagine, from your perspective because you sort of seen that movie before happen out here, right? Yeah. Um- I think that following a bank to a market is probably something that we wouldn't do. Um, and uh, that what we typically do in our growth, where we're looking at the, the, the more domestic fields, we're looking to work with domestic banks that we can give our clients with an international presence and more domestic feel is that it's typically client-led and, and led through um, the demand of where they're looking to grow. So, you know, things like LATAM and Asia Pack are quite a key um, so key markets for us to be developing banking relationships within country. Um, that Middle East area is, is, a, is an area for us of growth, of course, um, and finding the right spot or the right uh, area within that Middle Eastern region, it would be key for us if we were looking at a hub. Um, I, I you know, can't comment, obviously, for Rothschild and the, the reasons why they went there, but you're absolutely right, both of you. Um, they're very affluent areas. They're large family offices with extreme amount of wealth and, and capital. Um, so you can see why, uh, and as, as Neve said, I'm surprised they weren't there. I, I would have thought that they would have been there already. Yeah, it does seem like they're slightly late to the party, doesn't they? Which uh, makes me makes me think there was some sort of regulatory thing or, I mean, it's not as easy as just sort of pack your bags and head over there, you know, like uh, you've got to be sort of approved in the structure and everything that goes with it. And part of that is often... Um, uh, the ownership structure of the organization that's actually being deployed there as well. So it does have extra complications that you wouldn't sort of uh, typically expect. But yeah, we'll we'll wait and see what happens with this. I mean, I mean, they're joining a lot of other very large banks out there. But actually, if you're aiming at ultra, ultra high net worth, then that Rothschild brand kind of uh, carries some weight, doesn't it? So uh, again, uh, I think I'll stick to my Monzo card. All right. Uh, this is one that we picked up on Finextra. Well, there we go. Uh, did... So this is Detected collaborates with Visa to offer improved SME onboarding in the US and over in Canada. So Detected is a cloud-based platform that provides a modular onboarding flow builder, access to its intelligent data engine and case management tool for ongoing administration. They claim that the meeting the commercial imperative to onboard fast, but without a compromise to any of the the risks, uh, they're saying that this is essentially the new battleground in terms of shortening the times for those things and uh, tightening up any any loopholes. Their partnership with Visa will, for the first time, bring this type of onboarding platform to the US and Canada for all Visa's small business customers. Uh, the aim is to empower SMEs in North America with fast, efficient, and intelligent onboarding processes. Uh, we actually managed to speak to Liam 
Chanels, founder and CEO of Detected, who told us about this. Let's hear from him now. Obviously, great news for a company of our age to partner with a business like Visa. Um, the partnership's essentially to allow Visa SMB customers to offer Detected, uh, Detected's technology um, to streamline their onboarding processes. And there are a whole host of use cases from, uh, from regional banks to credit providers in the US who have a really poor business onboarding experience. Lots of manual workflows, especially in the back end, um, but also the front end experience is, let's just say, dated in a lot of instances. It's asking for documents, it's asking for extensive forms to be filled out. Whereas we've detected the user just lands on the detected flow, albeit white labeled, enters the name of their company, the city that company is registered in, and then detected goes off and does the rest. Um, with auto approvals included within that. So it's just a case of streamlining uh, merchant onboarding. So, yep, very happy. Um, obviously, the, the work starts now, as, as with any partnership, uh, but we're working really closely with the team um, over in the US and Canada. So looking forward to seeing how it unfolds. Very, very cool. Uh, I mean, I think he was being uh, sort of slightly understated, like most of the onboarding for for merchants you know, not just in the US or Canada, is like shockingly bad, like absolutely shockingly bad. So, and actually if you start a, a relationship and experience in that form, uh, you know, it doesn't really set the greatest of uh, expectations for how those things go. But uh, I mean, is this, a, I know when, uh, whenever we talk to the the guys at the, the 11FS Pulse team, that basically onboarding is what everybody's always most paranoid about for anything, you know, whether it's a, a retail account or merchants. But do you think this sort of spells a, almost similar to what we were talking about earlier on, Barry, with regards to payments, that actually one industry is setting a, a much, much higher bar and therefore even merchant onboarding now needs to have a, you know, a, a very slick user experience to uh, really capture people's attention. Again, because there's competitors, like you deliver a crappy experience, people have got options now, right? Uh, yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, both from, uh, look, we, we only service corporate. Uh, entities are open paid. So it's vitally important that we um, have a, a process that we can onboard uh, seamlessly. I can't comment on here for the, the retail part, but having worked in the industry for 20 years and also worked for organizations that deal a lot heavy retail flow, um, it's vital to make sure that somebody can onboard as fast as possible and then go and do something else. Um, uh, not just, I guess, that you're concerned about losing customers, but also from the other side is that how um, how can you scale a business if it's so clunky for you to onboard? Because then you've got a, you'll have a bottleneck and a backlog of customers um, that you can't onboard in, in in time to make the revenue. So there's there's both sides I think that it can impact. Yeah, and it's uh, it's amazing how many of those processes require several thousand pieces of paper as well. You know, so that the the risk that gets built into those processes is. Uh, you know, not uh, not great. It's a funny one, Neve, isn't it? I mean, it's um, often, uh, you know, we're all consumers. I know we're all sort of a bit geeky and we sort of love financial services to one form or another. But uh, actually, when people sort of start leaving themselves at the door of their organizations, you know, it's like, we all use great experiences. You know what I mean? Like, actually, we all use Apple's products and Airbnb and Deliveroo and what, you know, Uber makes it so easy, blah, blah, blah. But then people sort of get to work and forget all of that UX stuff and just deliver a terrible experience to people, you know. it's. Uh, but do you think the non-financial services players are increasingly setting the bar for financial services? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think 
people get used to a certain way of being able to do things quite easily when they are maybe booking, I don't know, something like Airbnb um, and looking at the, it's quite a seamless process a lot of the times from our external uh, outside financial services processes. So if you're coming into something where it's, I don't know, very labor intensive, clunky, slow, um, it's a bit like, I don't know, a bad first date or something. It makes you want to leave quite quickly. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Because I've never, I, mean, I got to, I got to date, I, uh, I got together with my, my now wife, very young, it's like not very young, like not really young. I mean, like 19. So, uh, but so I, I've never had that bad day experience where I was like out of the window. Uh, yeah, I think I've, I've left after one drink. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Have you? Wow. Did you let them know you were leaving or did you just go? No, no, I let them know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't ghost them. That wasn't what I was saying. I was just saying that they might, they might have been terrible. I, mean, I would think it's a very nasty thing to do. <laughs> well, I, th I feel like we got diverted ever slightly there, didn't we? But uh, um, there is uh, one story we didn't have the time to, to cover in, in detail that I will cover quickly before we move on because it is, is a big deal and it's a lot of money. But uh, this was one that was picked up over at City AM. This is Challenger Monzo to cement 4 billion valuation in new funding round. I don't typically like just covering a hey, some people have got a lot more money stuff. But actually, this is a really interesting one because there's been a lot of speculation around actually where Monzo are going to get the next round for. And, and actually, given they're doing a thousand different things, actually, what is it that they're going to be moving uh, into next? They've been making some really interesting hires lately in the insurance space, the uh, pension space, and all of this kind of points to, uh, you know, actually, uh, they're doing... Uh, just a huge amount to actually cement their place in the UK market. So Monzo is expected to finalize a deal for 350 million of fresh funding by the time you actually listen to this podcast. This takes their valuation up to over 4 billion pounds. Uh, there have been lots of reports earlier on, as I mentioned, that Alphabet, so this is the company that actually owns Google and a bunch of other stuff, uh, we're exploring 500 million of investment into Monzo that nothing is, uh, yet has, has materialized around those sides of things. Monzo have just announced that they've reached 9 million customers um, after onboarding 2 million customers last year alone. This is really sort of solidifying their position as one of the UK's leading challenger banks. I think it's really interesting that it's, uh, so almost the maturity now where we're getting to. You know, when we're starting to get to a point where you've got 9 million customers in a little old island like the UK, then, uh, you know, fintech's come a long way, hasn't it? really has. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive. Uh, and finally, it is time for, I always like leave them with a bit of a funny one, which is quite entertaining. And I, I'll be honest, I was off for a couple of days last week and I saw this sort of unfold on uh, Twitter and it was, it was rather entertaining. Squabbling of two organizations amongst each other, but Nationwide's Dominic West advert reported by Santander to, to the watchdog. Feels like somebody just running and telling their mum, doesn't it, at this stage, which is weird. But uh, Nationwide's promoted their recent rebrand with a TV advert in which British actor Dominic West plays a stereotypical big bank boss, sniggering at Nationwide's branches from across the street. Uh, it seems Santander has taken issue with this ad and reported it to the advertising watchdog. According to the BBC's report, the Advertising Standards Authority said it was investigating a complaint which argued that the ad was misleading and discredited Nationwide's rivals. Uh, the advert comes at a time when Nationwide renewed their pledge to keep branches on the high street amidst widespread branch enclosures from many of other big banks. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I sort of saw that advert and thought, that's that guy from The Wire, isn't it? I never knew actually what his name was, which is bizarre in this first sense. But I felt like they were kind of 
I like I like the idea of the advert, but I feel like the execution was not quite right. You know, like there was something almost. Um, I think you can you can tear down like parodies of the industry, but actually, I think when you start to isolate individuals within them, it becomes a bit personal, doesn't it? You know. So, um, what, what do you think, Neve? Is it uh, a little bit of fun and you know? nationwide trying to rebrand themselves and position building societies as, you know, the answer to the the trust problem in, in financial services? Or, you know, do you think it was just um, a bit too far? Oh, I don't, I, I don't want to say it was a bit too far. I mean, I think it was a very, um, dom- I actually haven't seen The Wire. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry to say, but um, I have to admit, every time I see Dominic West play a character, it's always someone quite slimy and um, unpleasant. And I don't think this was any different. You know, you have him sort of uh, pretending to rack up a large lunch bill and um, complaining about people, um, m- mocking people for losing their savings. Um, it's a pretty nasty portrait of of bankers, but it is one that I think a lot of people already have in their heads, um, unfortunately. <laughs> but, you know, having said that, I think it's a bit of a... <sighs> A losing game to stick keeping branches open as the way to manage trust amongst uh, your uh, population. You know, I think the reality is we are we should keep a lot of branches open, but we are going to have to you're going to have to start closing some branches eventually. Yeah, I mean, if if people are not using them, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's almost a we provide services because they're useful to people. If they're not useful, like what's you know, so it's a it is a difficult one, and almost the setting themselves up to the minute they start closing any branches, this is going to come back to them, isn't it? So it just feels a little bit short-sighted, uh, regardless of whatever the reasons on of it are. But but it, it feels, again, it feels like a, an odd ditch to die in, doesn't it? You know, uh, I mean, Nationwide have done some amazing things recently, giving away millions and millions of pounds in terms of, uh, I would have majored on that one from my perspective, in terms of like the, the bank that uh, distributes its profit amongst its customers. That gets me as a customer, not the... Uh, you know, dissing all the other banks. But what do you think, Barry? Is it a little bit of light, light-hearted sort of ribbing or is it, uh, is it just a little bit too far? Uh, look, personally, this is a personal opinion. I don't see any harm in it. It hasn't made me think any different of any of the other banks. Um, it wouldn't make me change from my bank to, um, to Nationwide because I'm probably not their demographic. I'm not that... I, I, I haven't been to a, a branch for so long now that actually that's not a big selling point for me. Um, so I'd, I'd guess who's the target audience they're looking to, to go with. Cause I don't know whether a younger demographic, um, maybe not that interested in whether there's a branch there or not, but I don't know. Personally, I, it's just an advert. Who watches adverts these days anyway? Like that's probably the, <laughs> that's probably the other thing to kind of major on these ones, isn't it? So do you know, I, I, um, I'd sort of say, I don't mind brands having a bit of a cheeky chappy pokiness. Like in, in fact, you know, our brand is sort of built on basically just being able to say whatever you like, so long as you do it with a smile on your face, basically. So I, I actually do think that's a good thing because, but, but there's something sort of slightly inauthentic about it, which is the bit that sort of rubs me slightly the, the wrong way. But uh, I actually, I don't know if you've heard, but they've got a radio advert that I actually think sticks the landing a little bit better 
on the sort of cheeky poke at the industry uh, piece uh, without paying a Hollywood star probably millions of pounds to come in and do it as well. But uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, people trying to shake up the industry. I'm all for that in that sense. But uh, I'd love to know what you guys think, uh, the listeners to this, whether you thought the nationwide advert was a, a good attempt at some lighthearted changing or whether it really did create a, a point of differentiation for them against the, the rest of the industry in that way. But uh, uh, let, do let us know. Feel free to write in. All right, that unfortunately does wrap up this week's FinTech Insider News. Thank you so much for the guests for joining us. Uh, where can they learn a little bit more about you and all the good stuff that you do? Neve, starting with you. Yeah, like everyone says, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Neve Curran, just spell it right. Um, and my, you can find me on X as well as Jerno Neve. Don't have a huge following on there, but, you know, would love to have a reason to post there more often. Sounds good. I've pretty much abandoned Twitter at this stage. Like, I just don't, <laughs> I just find it, it's just sad now. Do you know what I mean? It's like going to a um, a, a childhood home. Do you know what I mean? It's just not the same anymore. You know, it's just like, that's, that's weird. Uh, Barry, where can people learn a little bit more about you guys and uh, all this good stuff that you're doing? Yeah, so look, from OpenPaid, obviously website is openpaid.com. Uh, for me, uh, same as need LinkedIn, uh, best place to get me. Uh, I will be at most or all of the money 2020. So if people want to meet there, more than happy to do so. Um, so yeah, lots of ways to get hold. You're doing all of the money 2020s. Jesus, that's like uh, a... This year, I think, I, yeah. I did joke that they've just been doing them in places where hangover movies plausibly could have taken place. <laughs> so uh, you're, you're, you're literally doing a world tour, which is quite impressive. But uh, yeah. uh, enjoy that then. Um, hopefully you uh, don't wake up on the top of a building. Hey? Uh, as for me, I, do you know what, I say this every couple of weeks, but like, send me an email. Like, I do get some funny ones. David at 11fs.com. It's always interesting to hear what you saw with the show. And uh, I mean, anything else as well. Some of the random stuff I do get emailed to me is uh, quite entertaining. But uh, yeah, thank God for filters. Uh, and thank you all for listening. If you want to join in the conversation, find us on pretty much any social media channel at this stage. Or if you want to, email at podcasts with an S at 11fs.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Hope you had fun. Goodbye. The time for community banks and credit unions to win is now. While the big players and exciting new challenges grab headlines, regional institutions are at the heart of the banking ecosystem, putting the service back into financial services. Serving their local communities, these organisations around the world have a unique advantage over their competitors. They have deep, established roots with their customers. They offer local personal service and they're not tangled up in the legacy tech mess that the big banks are. To read, watch, and listen to what else we've got to say about them and how they can win, visit 11fs.com forward slash community banks. That's 11fs.com slash community banks.